as I mentioned, we, would, we thought we'd try something new, something that has been on my heart to do for a long time, uh, to co-preach, to share in a message, to engage around a passage. And so I'm going to invite Mark and Lauren to come and join me now. Like I said, we, tr- we thought we'd try something new. That's one of our values here. So bear with us as we work through something that's new for us, but a collective opportunity to engage around a powerful passage of Scripture. We're jumping ahead a little bit in our series through Mark, uh, and we'll come back to the passage we missed. But for this day, and as we approach Easter, I thought it was appropriate for us to, to center in on the heart of God, the love of God together in, I think, a well-known passage. Perhaps is it the most important passage of all. We have to be careful using superlatives always uh, as preachers, but Jesus does. So I think we're in good company. From the NRSV, Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? And Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any questions. This is going to be fun. It's been a desire of mine for a long time to bring more voices. And, and if you've been around for a while, you know uh, Mark and Lauren. They've, they preach maybe every few months here, so you've gotten accustomed with their voice. If you're new to our community, uh, Mark has served, I think, decades in various pastoral roles in various churches and various ministries. Uh, for the last number of years, he's been serving as outreach coordinator for the city of Bellevue and recently appointed to the Human Services Commission for the city of Sammamish. Yes, you can call me Commissioner Heilman. (laughs) Commissioner. (laughs) Sounds a little too Russian for comfort, but yes. So in those two roles specifically, and certainly bringing the experience of those years of ministry, puts Mark into contact with an incredible number of neighbors in our community and a diverse group as well. So I asked Mark as we've heard this passage, to kind of wear that hat and, and speak through that lens of, of who is my neighbor? Who is our neighbor? And how do we love them as Christ loves them? So glad you're here. Thank you for saying yes to this. And Lauren, uh, for years, as you've heard, has been a part of our community and, and for the last couple of years has been using her voice to encourage us and, and to preach. Uh, she has masters of divinity and family counseling. So awesome, and using that work now for family, couple, and individual uh, therapy, and we're just excited that you're here with us, and I asked her to kind of wear the hat of interacting with love for others from that perspective, uh, from a social relational perspective, and then emotional mental health perspective, because I know in this passage, and for some, it it becomes a, a stumbling block when Jesus says, love others as yourself. What if we struggle to love ourselves. What does that even mean? Can, can we? Should we? How do we care, care or love for ourselves? What could Jesus have meant that we might love both God and others? So I asked her to kind of wear that hat a little bit and certainly interact on the passage together as we proceed. So uh, that sets the stage a little bit uh, for the series. We've been working through Mark and many challenges have been coming to Jesus from the religious leaders and the Pharisees. They've been questioning him, challenging him, trying to get him to stumble and trip up in his words. And so we come to this passage kind of expecting the same thing, that uh, this scribe is going to come and challenge Jesus. And in fact, in the other gospels, it indicates it was somewhat of a challenge. But here there's a surprise. The way Mark records it, is 
this scribe assents to, to the story of Scripture. He answers wisely. Jesus sees that, receives him, and affirms him and says, you're not far from the kingdom. But it's more than just assent and and belief and right thought or right statement, but it's right living, it's right action that walks in the kingdom of God. So this is the passage uh, that is before us. Uh, like I mentioned, it's, we have to be careful as preachers to use superlatives. This is the most important thing of all. This is the greatest thing of all. This is what we absolutely must do. And yet, in this case, Jesus affirms. Essentially, he's being asked, what is the most important thing of all? And he doesn't skirt the question, he doesn't sidestep, he doesn't uh, debate with the questioner, he doesn't ask a question in return, all the things we've seen in the story, but he answers directly. It's almost that he's been waiting for and longing for this kind of question, and he answers directly and clearly. What's the most important thing of all? To love our God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as ourself. So this is the greatest, the most important thing. Let's begin there. How do we begin to get our mind around, around love? As has been said about other passages, but I think it's appropriate in this theme. It, this, the theme of love is so shallow that a child can wade into it and experience it. And it's so deep that an elephant could drown in it. I don't know if that's the phrase or not, but which one, which one are we going to be today? <laughs> Who wants to jump in on that, on that note? How do we get our head around love? Well, I can, I can start. So kind of speaking first from a neighbor standpoint, you know, what, what is Jesus saying to us? And it's just really interesting to me, and I think it's, it's very instructive that Jesus very intentionally links loving him, loving God, and loving our neighbors, and brings in the ideas Lauren's going to talk about of loving ourselves. I would say kind of from a uh, growing up standpoint, the whole idea of loving yourself, yourself still makes me cringe just a little bit uh, because it's like, does this mean that I think everything that I do is adorable? Does it mean that I don't need to be disciplined about everything, about anything? So look forward to Lauren kind of talking about what, it, what does it mean to love yourself and how does that play into loving God and, and loving our neighbors? So that'd be kind of the starting point for me. I've got some things that are high interest to me of a practical living out standpoint, but then also the idea of loving yourself. That's something yeah. I'm still growing into understanding. What does Jesus mean? Yeah. That'd be a helpful place to Absolutely. chime in about that. Yeah, so... Um, Around the question of how important is love, um, how do we begin to wrap our heads around that? Um, just a, something that's helpful for me to think about, especially when we use the phrase self-love, um, is that love happens in relationships. Love is something that happens between people, between beings. And, and therefore, I find it more helpful to, to think about it in terms of receiving love and giving love. It's something that happens between. Um, and so we have to start there. Love is something that we can receive and it's something that we can give. And as we practice receiving and giving, it's from that place that love becomes internalized as part of our identity, as part of who we are. Um, I am a loved person. I am beloved. Um, I am one who gives love. I am a loving person. And so I think that's important just to start off the bat. Love is something that um, exists in, in between. Um, oh, I digress. But there's, there's something beautiful about how the Trinity works in that sense, right? God being love, God gives and receives love in the midst of God's three beings. I mean, there's something beautiful about the relationality that allows love to exist in a sense that it might not um, if God was just a unitary, yeah. non-relational being. But that's, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's its own thing. But um, to the point, love is essential. Love is um, a non-negotiable part of what it means to be human. Mm. Um, it is not fluffy. It's not extra. Love is... Um, required F from a human development perspective, love is what brings us into being. So, specifically, if we look at human attachment, um, receiving love is essential for survival. Um, we have we have studies, unfortunately, that show that you know if infants are given their basic biological needs, food, water, changing, sleep, but they're deprived of love. 
uh, exhibited in skin contact, holding, eye contact, verbal communication with their caregivers, mm. um, they exhibit failure to thrive, which is, um, mm. in essence, they, they, they die. Um, we need love um, to grow as human beings. Um, if you're familiar at all with the Harry Harlow studies, it's these studies of tiny monkeys, and basically they had options. Do I go to the caregiver who provides for my physical needs, or do I go to um, the cloth mother, um, just this warm being who, neither of these were real monkeys, um, but these baby monkeys preferred the one that was warm and loving. Um, you might be like, Lauren, why are you talking about monkeys? This is very significant from a biological perspective to understand how important love and belonging and attachment are. And it's from that place then of receiving that love as, as infants that we experience ourselves as distinct in the world and we experience the world around us as trustworthy and good. Um, the separation of self from reality grows out of that space, and it's from that that we internalize, internalize an identity of being beloved. Um, so love is essential. When humans are not given that basic need and grow our identity out of that place, um, we often experience enormous difficulties with, with loving ourselves, with exhibiting empathy and care for others, um, with existing in the world and trusting that it is a place that um, that we have a space in. So, yeah, love is pretty important. Yeah. Yeah, the pinnacle of God's creation and is humanity, right? Is his, his sons and his daughters, and he makes us in his image. He puts something of himself in the Trinity. I love the way you said that. God is relational at his core as we come to try to understand his, his, his being, his essence. He lacks nothing but imprints upon us this this uh, unity with him, this uh, oneness with him and his image. Therefore, we're, the, we're, we're some of the only creatures. Monkeys apparently have some, some inclination uh, to that, so that humbles us. Uh, but nonetheless, like we can only thrive with love because we've been made in the image of God to reflect him. It's at the core of who he is. As I mentioned earlier, it's, it's not just something that God wants or invites us into. It's, it's who he is. And therefore, as we are made in his image, it's who he calls us to be. Uh, the, the Apostle John, I think, summarizes this concept maybe as, as well as anyone. It's not just that John knew this and grasped this as he walked with Jesus and came to know him, but he experienced this. He experienced the love of God through Jesus. He was often uh, called the beloved disciple, and, and he, he urges us to live in this love and extend it. So 1 John 4, uh, chapter 7, and follow... 1 John 4, verse 7 and following. Dear friends, speaking to the church, speaking to all, all who are drawing near to God, uh, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, but whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And then jumping to verse 19. So we love because he first loved us. He reiterates that. That's the starting point. It's, it's who God is and therefore who we are made in his image. And, and from that place of receiving his love and, and beginning to get our heads around that and experience it is the only way that we can extend that and begin to love like he loves. And it's not just a compulsory thing. Oh, because God loves and I understand that I must love my neighbor. It's, we must more and more experience the love of God as John did to receive it and to let that sink in. And to, I think for, for, for those of us that have engaged with this passage, this greatest commandment, these words of Jesus, maybe many times, in many ways, there's some pretty well-known words, I think it might just stick in our head and not sink into our, our heart anymore of how incredible this is. So I'm inviting you to just pause and reflect. Do you live your life as if this is true? Or do you live your life as if Jesus answered the question differently? What's the most important thing of all? Obey God. Trust God. 
Fear God. Give to God. Sacrifice to God. Yield to God. Believe God. Have faith in God. All things that we're encouraged and urged to in Scripture. But that's not how Jesus answered the question. He answered the question with love. Love your God because he loves you. From there, from that place, comes obedience, trust, faith, giving, sacrifice, service. But if we begin with those other things, we may never, never get to love the love of God and the love of one another. I think that point of what you're just saying, of God's initiative toward us, this is one of those passages that seems pretty easy and pretty obvious. It's like if you grew up about my age or so, flannel graph was kind of a big deal, and it's kind of like you can kind of envision. You hey, know, my daughter of, loves flannel, I, flannel graphs. I mean, she kind is of a all about it, okay? And it's particularly fun if you get there before the teacher and you can, you know, kind of make the camels do you know, unnatural camel things. I mean, that in an entirely appropriate way. I don't want to hear more about that. Ways that they could not typically stand. Uh-huh. Um, so, yes, there is a bit of raggedness to this, isn't there, Ben? Um, but if you grew up kind of with flannel graph, this just seems like one of those flannel graph verses. You love God, you love people, and it wasn't mentioned during my flannel graph years of loving yourself, but you love God and you love people. And that's something that, um, that we would say as Christians, yes, of course, that's true. But Jesus mentions this not as something that's an add-on or something that's, that's a choice. He mentions it as a, as a command that takes discipline to love him. I mean, it's a lifelong learning to submit ourselves to him and to be and have eyes and heart to be aware of, of our neighbors. I'm going to shift a little bit to the, mm. talking about neighbors because in some respects it's, it's easier to kind of talk about love, but then when you talk about loving and kind of where your compassion or my compassion has been, has been pushed, then the verse is a little bit more like, yeah, I understand why this is a command, <laughs> that it's not just something of all Christians do this easily. Um, so I think probably pointing out that, that being loving and being a loving neighbor is not just for people that are, for folks that are super people aware or that you're an extrovert or you're just uniquely generous. This is commands that he gives to all of us for all of our lives to be, to love him and to love people. So I'd ask you just for a second, if you can kind of think back, who is your very first neighbor that you remember? Your very first neighbor. Uh, for me, I was three years old. Uh, we lived in a house on Connecticut Street in Washington, Illinois, Illinois for one year while our house was being built. And uh, next door to us lived Mrs. Klatt, who I think seemed ancient at the time. is probably like 40 or something. But uh, what I remember of Mrs. Klatt and this kind of a family legacy is I went by one day at age three and I picked all of the red tulips in her front yard and not even with stems. Like I... Like I just took the buds off. And I think what I really remember about that, my family kind of tells that as a humorous thing of Mark going next door and pulling up Mrs. Klatt's tulips. But what I remember was those years were starting to be kind of challenging for me within our family. And Mrs. Klatt was like super generous and very kind about this thing. So that just really registered with mm -hmm. me. Just kind of my first neighbor was, was Mrs. Klatt. But kind of going through the years, I could mention names that would only be important to Diane and me, but if I kind of went through Afton and Mrs. Beasley, and I mean, we've got some stories of some interesting folks through the years that we've lived next to, and folks that have, you know, ended up from 1984 being lifelong friends for us. So just that idea of neighbor, you know, I think it's different when you kind of think of those first neighbors and your current neighbors and thinking of them by name, um, how you've sacrificed for each other or you barely know them mm. or you know them pretty well. Um, mm. So I think just that, that idea of neighbor, in fact, it, it may be this same guy, the same scribe that we're not sure if it's parallel passage in, in Luke 10, asked Jesus and, and the passage says that the lawyer desiring to justify himself um, asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? 
You know, Jesus is really good with questions that are meant to deflect or excuse. You just don't ask Jesus kind of mm. subtle questions to get out of something. <laughs> so right. Jesus goes into telling the story that typically we would call the good Samaritan, but Jesus calls the Samaritan merciful. Mm -hmm. He's a merciful person. And the, the, the parable that Jesus tells is about this man who is an outcast from Jewish society, ethnically, religiously. Uh, it was someone that everybody would say, well, of course, the Samaritan's not going to help a Jew. But there were two Jewish people that passed by a half-dead, unclothed man that had been attacked on the side of the road, and the Samaritan stopped and treated him as if he was a closest family member. I mean, he bandaged him up. Somebody that's half dead, you kind of think about bandaging someone up that's half dead. That, that's a mm. commitment, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, and then got him into town and paid for him to, to stay there in safety and said to the innkeeper, when I come back by, I will pay for whatever this guy has used out of the minibar or whatever. I will pay that, whatever he does. I'm, I'm going to pay for. Mm -hmm. So just that idea then of Jesus saying, your neighbor is somebody that you don't even know the name of. In fact, your neighbor is like everybody, including mm -hmm. the person that all the world would say, yes, it makes sense that you would mm -hmm. not stop for this guy. So when the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my, my neighbor? Jesus said, it's, it's the person that instinctively, even though you're not a hateful person, you kind of have that little bit of hate for. Mm. That's who your neighbor is. Mm. And all of that just seems mm. overwhelming until we realize God took the initiative and, and showed us and empowers us with his, with his spirit to notice who our neighbor is and to be loving when even for the nicest among us, there is that little nodule of hate. Yeah, love of that person yeah. as if they were your child. Yeah. Bandage them up, pay for them as if they were your child. Yeah, I, I think we often interact with, I, I do, I interact with this passage in a, in a response to, I'm gonna live my life for God. Uh, I, he tells, he's done all of this for me, I, I'm gonna live for him, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna go love, I'm gonna be loving, I'm gonna find that neighbor. But I often don't feel like it. <laughs> It's often a stretch to, uh, to do the work for, for the hard ones to love, the last and the least, or, or to see them the way that God sees them. And I, I, I want to be in that place. I want to I receive the love of God and know it so deeply that it's a, it's a, natural, it's a natural response. You see the needy, you see the hurting, and, and, and you'll divert to that. You'll give like that. You'll see with the heart of God. How do we do that without it just being, again, religious exercise and, I, and an I must? And I, I, God has given to me, so I, I will give to him. I'll, sh I'll show him that I, I'm worthy of his grace and his favor, which is not the posture that he's invited us to. It's not the story of Scripture. The whole story of Scripture is God's love and pursuit of us from the beginning. He takes the initiative. He creates the garden. He did not need us or this world to walk with us, to be with us, and that's the whole story of Scripture. If you've heard my preaching at all, you, I, hope you, I hope you hear this again and again, that it's God's desire to be with us, the tabernacle, to the temple, to Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, the Spirit in the church, the Spirit in us, the picture of our eternal future is, is communion with God. Is, is an unbroken relationship with God. That is the story of Scripture. When I think of maybe the pinnacle picture of God's love for us, it's in the prodigal son story, the prodigal story, that, the parable that Jesus teaches uh, that we can all resonate with, the, uh, the, the son that takes the inheritance to, to go, to leave the father, to leave the house, to squander it ultimately. And the love of God pictured in the Father. And I want to read uh, this passage because if we, don't, if we don't receive the love of, of God like this, we're prone to then only respond to the commandment to love out of requirement or compulsion, but not out of an understanding of who we are and how we've been loved to respond. Listen to Luke 15, 20. Well, the young man was still a long way off. He's on his way, he's on his way home, hoping just for mercy, hoping just for a place to serve as a servant, not even to be restored as a son in his father's household. 
While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion, and ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. This was all before the son even speaks or takes any posture of confession or repentance. This is the picture of God's love for you. He delights in you. His face lights up when you walk into the room, when you attune yourself to his presence, regardless of how long it's been, what you've done or haven't done with his love, with his gifts to you. He delights, he runs, he sees you from afar. He embraces, he kisses Then the the son is able to get some words out here. These words that he's rehearsed, I think they're probably different words than he actually rehearsed, but it's a parable. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. There's no bigger sin. I couldn't have done anything worse. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. There's a repentance in this, right? He's, He's literally turned. That's what repentance is. Turning from one way of life to another, in this case, to return to God. The father says to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. It's almost that the son interrupted what the father was going to already do. But he demonstrates his repentance and the father doesn't, there's no delay here. There's no, you know what? You should never really have done that. I loved you. You should have stayed with me. Why didn't you? What's wrong with your heart? He goes, quick, we celebrate now. He's restored. This is the picture I believe, of the whole story of of the Bible, of God's love for us. And until we embrace that and receive that, we will never turn to extend the love of God the way that he does, the way that he loves. He delights in you. And I think many of us deeply struggle with that. We get stuck to be able to love like he loves because we don't receive that love We don't love ourselves the way that God sees us. What what, what does that look like? Maybe that's a place for you to to jump in, Lauren, into into the story or where we get stuck to love and experience love. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, we can sort of, um, if it would be be helpful, let me know. Um, Just to talk about some of the ways that that can be hard and then perhaps practice the way that we can practice experiencing God's love. Yeah, yeah. so in line with, I think, what each of you have have shared, Mark, your story of of not hearing, you know, we hear about, like, love God and love your neighbors, but, like, we do not uh, grow up hearing that we should love ourselves. Um, I'm making that assumption. That's true from your story. That's true from mine as well. I would imagine that that's probably true for many of us in this room. I I certainly heard, yeah. You love yourself enough anyway, so don't, you don't yes. need you know, to do anything like that would be prideful or yep. self-indulgent or to yes. repel that. Yep. Yeah. So um, I think especially in church circles, um, in church culture, we can get this message of self-love equals um, self-indulgence. Um, arrogance, pride. I've even heard like narcissism thrown around, which is a completely different thing. Um, that's not the same. Um, but we can get this sense of when we're, if we're loving ourselves, then that's actually taking away from like this limited pool. Like we're supposed to be loving God and others, and we can get this zero sum game kind of going. Um, yeah. So a lot of that comes from from church culture. Mm. It is. It could be its own study and understanding why we have that message. Um, it's not Christian. The thought that loving ourselves is sinful is not. It's not Christian. It's not part of our faith tradition. It's not biblical. We don't find grounds for that in Scripture. I think a lot of it comes from centuries of of shame and cultural messaging that sort of takes specifically, I think, in evangelical circles, some of Paul's words about spirit and flesh, and like we, um, these interpretations of, of uh, flesh get warped, and there's a lot of misinterpretation and misunderstanding around that. Anyways, that's its own thing. Um, but church culture can heap a lot of barriers onto us and learning like, no, actually, when I experience myself as beloved, when I let myself 
um, express care and kindness and love towards myself. What I'm doing is I'm telling the truth about how God sees me and how uh, God clearly states God approaches me as as God's child. Um, So in a sense, when we reclaim loving ourselves, we are telling the truth that God would speak over us. Um, So church culture, I've said that a few times, can give particular barriers, but there are other ones. Um, Mm. If we're struggling, if you are sitting in the pew and saying, um, I have a hard time loving myself, Uh, you're in great company. Every single one of us in this room uh, struggles to do that. If we didn't have sort of religious messaging around why that's sinful or wrong, that was uh, proving to be a barrier. There's still many cultural messages around around, um, that that make it hard. Would it be helpful to detail those? Yeah. I mean, I I, I see this in the passage that the the son says, I'm not even worthy. I'm not worthy to be loved because of what he's done. And I think some of us would say, would resonate with that or have, have that as a barrier. And others probably say, because of what's happened to me, things that have been done to me, I'm unworthy. I'm, I'm ashamed. I, how could God love me and see me that way? That's, that's what I interact with in, in some. Is that my on track? Are there other things? Oh, there are so many. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, all of us have grown up with cultural messages um, around what makes us worthy, worthy of respect, worthy of love, worthy of belonging, um, right? Be successful in this way, have this kind of family, this kind of marriage, this kind of career, have this kind of body, um, be confident, have good self-esteem. Like we're, we're barraged with all of these messages about what makes us good and worthy people. Um, and when we believe those messages, which how can we not be sucked into at least part, assuming that they might be true? They're all around us. Um, We can end up sort of stratifying, right? Where am I on this chart of what makes me worthy? We can do that with good things, Mm, right? I need to give a certain amount. I need to love a certain amount. If I don't feel this way or act this way, then then I'm not worthy. Um, We all grew up in families that internalized various cultural messages and might've had expectations, um, be Mm, this kind of a son or this kind of a daughter. Um, It's important for men to be this way, right? Don't cry, be strong. Suck it up, walk it off. <laughs> I've heard of these messages, right? Leave the tulips alone in other people's yards. <laughs> um, that was a good message. I, mean, I needed that message. And it sounds like it weighed on you. <laughs> yeah, he took that on. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, growing up as as girls, I think we often hear messages of you know, be be quiet, be submissive, don't don't cause a fuss, don't be a bossy, right? Like, there's all sorts mm. of we could be compared to siblings. I could go on. Um, we've all grown up in various cultural messages about what makes us worthy. We've all grown up in families that internalize those messages and uh, express those in various ways. Um, we're all wondering if we're worthy. We're all working on whether we really do truly deserve God's love. And, um, and so when I think about <clears throat> what makes it hard to love ourselves, uh, to receive God's love and to call ourselves beloved and to extend that to ourselves the same way that God does, in the beginning, it's just a lot of barriers. Um, to use a really overdone metaphor, like... I've been doing gardening and I am ripping out lots of blackberries from my backyard. You know, it's sort of like in order to have a happy backyard, you gotta rip out all the blackberries. And so I feel like there's just a lot of barriers. There's a lot of blackberries that all of us have that different people planted, uh, that different systems planted. And we have to be like, you're a lie. (laughs) I would like my tulips to grow here. Yeah, and one of the barriers, I mean, we read it earlier in John, that John is breaking for us is how we receive the love of God. Because sometimes it's just, again, it's, it's an ascent mentally that God loves us, and we just need to believe that. But he says, nobody has seen God unless it's the love, it's his love through others. Therefore, through, through us, he is seen in the world. Therefore, we receive his love by seeing the way others have loved us. That's that's God. That's the tangible. That's the tangible representation of His love for us. We have to see the way He has sent people to love us, not perfectly. He alone is perfect, and then we can extend that same love toward others and represent Him. 
You're also going to say. One of the things we talked about yesterday was, you know, it's not like you accomplish one of these and then you get to move on and then you've kind of leveled up to what, you know, you where you should be lovingly, you know, at, at a certain age. So you don't just accomplish loving yourself and then you move on to this, you move on to this. But it's a lifelong, a lifelong learning sort of thing that as you're in different environments, as different people come into your life, as as you mature, there's going to be like, oh, well, there is also this here. You know, I just really do not want to have to deal with this particular BlackBerry, or I really do not want to extend love toward this person or this kind of person. So, uh, Tommy, if you would put up slide uh, one for me. On Friday, there was a picture that showed up on a page. This is 228th in Sammamish. Uh, it's a gazebo that's a neighborhood entry. And um, kind of interesting, some of the comments that were on Facebook, it was kind of across the range. But then slide two, if you'd put that up next. I'm sorry, I just realized, Tommy, you're not up there. Thank you, Doug. Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. So second slide shows this is a sleeping bag mm. and a cardboard sign that says homeless on it. Mm. And again, the interactions with people are around this, um, you know, somebody asked, is this a trend? Are you seeing this happening in other neighborhoods? Um, and then, you know, a few comments down, somebody saying, well, was there a person there? Mm. How are they? Mm. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting to see what other people say. Mm. It's convicting to realize what you think and feel. And I think that's part mm. of where at least I get stopped in growing in love is I don't want to have to deal with mm. where I still need to grow beyond people's opinions of me. I mm. really like mm. the opinions of people that view me as these four things, but God knows where my heart is, where I can continue to need to grow, even in areas where I'm strong. They're not fully submitted to him. So as I saw this, I was at my home office on Friday, and I'm looking out in my very comfortable office, relatively comfortable chair, and this you know, gazebo thing is kind of down the hill, maybe half a mile from us. And I know that my first response was, and I think I said this out loud, but at least I thought it was, ooh, that's not good. Mm. That was my first response. And not, ooh, that's not good for this person. It's like, ooh, that's not good for me. Mm. And I just, you know, walked 15 feet from my very comfortable bed to my comfortable office looking at the mountains and, ooh, that person <laughs> slept on concrete and I'm concerned about me. You were the priest that walked on the other side of the road yes. past the... One in the ditch. Yeah. And we've all done that. Thank you for that vulnerability. And, and hoping and wishing that ditch is not close to, to my house. Right. So right. I think when, when Jesus right. says, everyone is your neighbor, in fact, the more challenging they are, um, the more neighborly, genuinely neighborly you need to be. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for that. But pause, it's you. It's me? I <laughs> And I was told to leave space if there's a pause, to not fill it, because I will fill, I will fill space. I am comfortable jumping in in a polite way. You have, Lauren, I know there's an exercise. Are you, are, are you, feel, are you feeling, feeling? When Lauren or I pick up our microphones, that means we're ready to talk. <laughs> what were you going to ask? Are you feeling led to fill the space? With an exercise, or now have we, have we broken the mood? We can reclaim it. Okay, um, let's do it. Redemption. Actually, I, what I was going to um, comment on is that experience, Mark, of like, I see something, and, and my first thought is like, how is this not close to me? How, how is this thing not going to impact me and, and my people, my, my family? Um, that is an experience that, um, I, that all of us have. I'm just going to say it on behalf of all of us. That's mm -hmm. part of um, that's part of how we're wired. We want to avoid pain. We want to avoid um, the unknown of the other, um, of loss. And and so if if there is a place where you're experiencing that and and feel any bit of like self judgment, mm -hmm. I think that that could be a great opportunity 
for us to actually combine love of ourselves and love of neighbor and say like, I can have compassion on myself in this place because I understand that fear. God understands that fear. Um, God calls me to take a step out in courage, but that is an invitation, not a judgment, not a like, oh, you know, mm. you kind of suck at mm. that. Like that's that's not God's heart. Mm. Like we're all being invited to um, to extend compassion and to notice non-judgmentally when that's hard. Um, no. So I think that that example is like a, a perfect example, I think, for, for me of what does it look like to practice loving my neighbor humbly and with courage, acknowledging when it's difficult, um, extending to myself the same grace that God extends to me rather than judgment. So, If I swipe my coffee mug here and coffee spills all over the, the table and ask the question, why did coffee spill all over the table? If the answer is because the, the coffee mug was knocked over, no, because there was coffee in the coffee mug when it was knocked over. If there was water, water would have spilled. If it was empty, nothing would have spilled. And I think those, those moments, like just seeing the picture, whether it's on our news feed or social media or driving or interacting in the community, what, what just comes out is evidence of, of what is in there. And I think... Uh, what, we, what we're desiring and longing for is that love comes out, right? And that's only the work of the Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. When, the, when love, joy, peace, patience, and the rest come out in those moments, we go, okay, we start to see that the Spirit is at work. And when it doesn't, we see, we see our flesh. And we know what God has done for our flesh and his love for us in the process of healing and redemption. But those moments are clarity of, Lord, help. Lord, I need more of, I need more of your love. I can't just... I can, I can get around the, the initial reaction and choose rightly. And that's justice, and it's mercy, and it's compassion, and that's good. But I'm praying for the fruit of the Spirit to be so in me that that's what comes out when, when, I, when life jostles and, and changes. So an analogy that came to mind. All right, we've got five-ish minutes, five to ten minutes. What do you think? Let's try it out. Let's okay. go for it. Let's go. A little exercise to practice, and maybe that'll help us wrap. And this is always, this is, we knew going in, this is a to be continued. Uh, I hope we get more opportunities like this, maybe even on a similar theme. Uh, it's a massive theme, so it's just uh, creating space for you to interact and engage. I hope there's, there's been things here that are, that are helpful and encouraging, and maybe even this practice will, will help as we lead into a response time. So um, in, in a similar vein of trying something different, um, Oh, I'll say this too. Um, receiving God's love, extending that love towards ourselves, extending that love towards others, like Mark, you said a moment ago, like it's not a like, <laughs> I accomplished this one and I'll level up, mm -hmm, right? I think mm -hmm. we all intuitively know that. Um, the way I'd phrase it is it's a practice. Um, practicing loving ourselves, loving others, receiving God's love. It's a practice. It's a journey. Practice helps us grow. There is no such thing as perfection at this. There is no arriving. If anyone tells you that they've got this figured out, they're lying or deceived. Um, <laughs> we're human. We grow. Um, and it's and it's a journey. It very much is a is a practice of moment by moment. What does it look like for me to tell the truth about my belovedness, to extend that to others, and to walk in the kingdom? Um, I picture almost like we're pilgrims. We're on a journey. Mm -hmm. We're on a road. Yeah. We're moving forward. Sometimes we don't know where we're going, but we invite others along with us and. And we need friends. We need others to remind us of the road that we're on, to remind us of our own belovedness. Um, so I would encourage you, as we're all wrapping our heads around this big topic, to think about it as, as a practice um, that we try on. So in, in that vein, one way that we can practice that is, is just reflecting. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that's... Um, a little bit unorthodox, but that's okay. We're all going to do it together. Um, if you're comfortable, I would like you to just close your eyes. If you have children, then you know, like peek every now and then to like watch them. And but, kids, um, kids, you can join us with this too. And yes. Take, a, take some deep breaths. Accessible for everyone. Close your eyes and take a slow inhale through your nostrils. And then take a slow exhale also through your nostrils. 
Nice. Let your next inhale be even slower through your nose. And your exhale be as slow as possible through your nose. As you continue to keep your eyes closed, deep in your breath, and think back of someone in your life who you remember treated you with care, with warmth. Someone who you felt safety and belonging with. Think about this person. Maybe a specific memory comes to mind. Maybe it doesn't. That's okay either way. As you think back on this person and times that you were with them, how do you feel in your body in this moment? As you continue to breathe deeply, notice maybe that there's some tension in your chest that's loosened a little bit. Maybe breathing deeply feels a little easier. Continuing to reflect on this person, on your relationship with them. How did you feel towards yourself when you were in their presence? Perhaps you can imagine God looking toward you and treating you the same as this person did. If that's hard to imagine, that's okay. That's common. But see if you can imagine God turning towards you like this person did. Maybe as you think back on a memory or this person, you can imagine that God's presence was in them. God's hands and feet were their hands and feet. And if you're still there, Stay in this place of thinking. If you can imagine being in this person's presence, how do you feel towards others when you're in that person's presence? We're just going to take one more minute to continue breathing. Keep your eyes closed. And just reflect on what's come up for you in the last few minutes. We're going to take two deep breaths together. Take a slow inhale through your nose. And a slow exhale through your nose. Final breath together. Big, slow inhale. Slow exhale. And as you're ready, you can blink your eyes open.
Thank you. As you articulated that practice, and it's a guided meditation just on a specific theme, I'm always I'm just reflective of how, how little we do that. This might be the longest pause with some silence in between that you've experienced all week or in weeks. You've been in quiet places, but the guided pause to reflect, to center, is what meditation is. As we tune our, our, our mind to God, to his love, to his heart, through his word, it's meditation, and it's, it draws us close. So thank you for creating that space. I hope that's a blessing and encouragement to you. We're so prone to, what's the next thing? And what's the clock say? And when is lunch? And, what? and we're moving. We need to settle sometimes and receive. And, and that's, I hope, the primary message you, you, you are encouraged by as neighbors come to mind, as, as compassion and service and opportunity comes to mind that you know God is inviting you to, that that's coming from a place of receiving his love, of knowing who you are in Christ, the beloved. That's unchanging. As we respond in song, as we respond in communion together, and I invite you to get those elements uh, as we sing, and we'll, after two songs we'll pause, we'll take together as our practice on the first Sunday to commune with one another. I invite you just to continue to reflect on how God has loved you, continues to love you, and makes possible the opportunity to love others in the same way. Any final words that you're like, I, I really feel like I'm prompted to, to say this before we wrap? I guess just the last thing I, I would say is from Second uh, Corinthians 5, uh, 14 and 15, and just kind of wraps a little bit what you've said and what we've talked about, but just the idea that um, the love of Christ controls us uh, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And if he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for them, but for him uh, who for their sake died and was, was raised. Mm -hmm. He controls us with his love so we can love him and love other people. Amen. It doesn't just happen out of thin air. It, it is discipline and it's him taking the initiative Toward, with mercy toward us. Amen. Lauren? Let me read Paul's prayer to the church that I prayed a part of earlier as we close. Catherine, Tommy, you can come and be prepared to lead us in song. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Even Paul, wrestling with this massive, massively complex, deep, rich theme. To know love, we can know it, but it surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And this is the prayer of the church. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen.